0: Muhadib could indeed see the future, but you must understand the limits of this power. Think of sight. You have eyes, yet you cannot see without light. If you are on the floor of a valley, you cannot see beyond your valleys. Just so, Muhadib could not always choose to look across the mysterious terrain. He tells us that a single obscure decision of prophecy, perhaps the choice of one word over another, could change the entire aspect of the future. He tells us, the vision of time is broad, but when you pass through it, time becomes a narrow door. And always, he fought the temptation to choose a clear, safe course. Warning, that path leads ever down into stagnation. From Arrakis Awakening by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we are. My uh, my connection is pretty garbage right now. I'm sorry, Evan. I really am. Yeah, I'll just leave lots of extra breathing room and space um, for you to respond to things. And
1: And I'll try to answer before you finish your question.
0: And then I'll just, in editing, I'll just, you know, kind of squeeze up those those uh, those time gaps. Yeah, we're good at this. Hey, we're professionals somewhat. No, it's all right. We do this for free. Evan's shaking his head at me. On our last podcast, we uh, asked y'all to send in videos, audio um, notes on what your favorite moment from Dune is, and we got an email from Jack. Uh, Dixon. He says, Spice Lords. First of all, thank you for that. It feels like Time Lords, but not quite. The Hoovian in me appreciates that. Spice Lords. First time reader here, uh, living in Oakland, California. Shout out to the Bay Area. Love the book and your podcast is a great companion to it. It's awesome to see real-time reactions from Evan I was hoping you would say something, Evan, but it's okay. And get me, a seasoned Fremen inter- <laughs> interpretation from Caleb. Uh, his favorite moments for book one, in no particular order, the Thopter ride to the Spice Factory, the dinner party, Jessica and how it's 2 a.m. conversation. He says, Frank Herbert has an excellent at generating moments of high tension between two or three characters. Appreciate y'all. Stay spicy. Well, you know we stay staying spicy. So we'd love to hear from you, the listener, the watcher. If you want to just shoot us an email, readingduneatgmail.com. We want to know where you're from, what your favorite moment in Dune is so far. And if you say moments happening beyond this, um, I won't use them because it will be spoilers for Evan. And Evan has not read Dune at all. So so we want to keep this as fresh as possible. And I'll try not to spoil anything, but no guarantees. He just laughs at me. All right. Bum, bum, ba, bum, 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 Let's talk about this quote, Evan. Let's do it. Yeah, I like how we learned a little bit about prescience in this, right? That um, Muhajib could see the future, <coughs> which we know is now Paul. Paul can see the future, but it's not. Um, he can't see all of it at once. There are pits and valleys that he can't see in and around, and we're going to hit some of those moments in this chapter. But I love how he says, at the very end, he fights temptation to choose a clear, safe course, warning that that path, the safe, easy, clear path, leads ever down into stagnation. Evan's holding up his book where he has that part. part. He underlined that. It's so good. Because it's so true in our human little existence. We seek so often the comfortable route, the route of safety and security. But if you choose that route, if you don't walk down the, the uh, black labyrinths in front of you, if you don't jump into the darkness, if you don't go headlong into the storm, is there a way out? Is that the only way to survive is in
1: man that that messed me up because that's so clearly like what I've been encountering just in life in general. The clear safe course is a path that leads ever down to stagnation. Like it's never, ah, it's never the right move to just go with the easiest option, you know? And that's like, you need you need desert power to live that that kind of life. You need that understanding of suffering and getting through life with just enough to be able to consciously not make the same choice over and over and over again. And that's just, that's beautiful. That's good, good, good juice right there.
0: Oof, oof, yes. All right, so um, right where we left off with Paul and Jessica... Right. Um, Last time on reading Dune. All right. So um, Idaho came and picked up Paul and Jessica, set them down somewhere. And then they were in the um, let's see, they were in their tent, but Idaho hadn't come back. So they had to like bounce. Right. And so they pack up the tent and they leave and they cross over this ledge and they see orange and purple lights of a battle happening in a valley. Right, they hear the explosions and they see all of this. And as soon as they decide to like make their way into the desert, as soon as they move off the ledge, Paul looks up and sees dark shapes and a, the low hiss of an ornithopter. Evan, at this point, how would you describe ornithopters? How would you? What? What? What do you? What do you see when you see them?
1: Oh my gosh! Okay, I. You, still you have, have more context life. now. Yeah, but I still have no idea because I don't know. It has wings like a bird and it does. It says he says cupping motions a lot, but I don't know what that's supposed to look like. Like a big bird looking spaceship kind of dude that goes like squaw,
0: you know, uh, that's <laughs> kind of what I'm doing right now. Evan is moving his arms back and forth. Um, if, if for those listening, uh, like a, like a bird, yeah. but not quite like a beetle. Um, yeah. it's a little confusing. Yeah. It's kind of awkward just to watch. <laughs> At first I thought it was like a
1: helicopter, but it clearly has okay. things that do things
0: like That's... it's definitely got like the That's... cockpit of like a helicopter
1: yeah yeah that that part for sure. but
0: I'm also seeing kind of like a falcon
1: looking thing. I don't know this I need the movie to come out so I can see what <laughs> what they look like in the movie.
0: Yeah, we know the wings can move out fully. they could be tucked in. There's like a cupping motion to like push up to gain to gain thrust. Um, yeah, the wings are very versatile in how you can move them. All right. So that's the Ornithopters. So Paul looks up. hears the hiss of the Ornithopters. Sees the dark shapes. Paul grabs his mother arm, like his, his mother's like whole body. And like mom arms him like, don't move. And the craft fly over, swings around. And Paul recognizes instantly that who's an Ornithopter? Idaho. He can tell just by how it's being flown. Good old donkeys. Paul says, it's Idaho and the craft and its companions settled into the basin like a convoy of birds coming to nest. Idaho was out of his thopter and running towards them before the dust had even settled, and two figures came out behind him. So one of those figures being Kynes, which is great. Um, Kynes motions over and calls to them to follow this way as he moves left of the thopter, and some other friend hop out and they throw a, f- a fabric covering over the thopter to hide it. Like instantaneously. So now the, the craft became a row of shallow dunes. It just blends in. Kind of like Frodo's cloak
1: in uh, Return of the King, I think, when he covers yeah. them up and they just look like a rock.
0: Yeah, kind of like that. Hmm. Probably left like elfin magic and more like weird like uh cloaking technology but yeah same same. Gotcha. gotcha, gotcha. Um Idaho runs towards Paul and Jessica skids to a stop in front of in front of Paul and salutes. My lord, the Fremen have a temporary hiding place nearby where we and Paul pointed out back at the violence. Um and says, what's, uh, what's that in the distance? The jet flares, the purple beans of Waze guns. As, they, as it, he sees everything that's happening. Um, a rare smile touched Idaho's round, placid face. My lord, sire, we left them a little... Super- Boom! And you see this white flash come over. Idaho puts both his arms out and hurls Paul and Jessica down off the ledge that they were on into the basin full of sand just pfft. and look we had like we had a nuclear explosion go off in the background because Idaho had set up a trap yeah, yeah, yeah. and the first thing Jessica thinks is oh no the family atomics but as they're getting out Paul knows instantaneously you planted a shield back there Paul said Idaho says a big one turned to full force a laser beam touched it and uh he shrugs. Subatomic fusion, Jessica said. That's a dangerous weapon. Not a weapon, m'lady. Defense. That scum will think twice before using laser guns around another time. As they're still getting up, the fremen from the ornithopter stopped above them.
1: I just pictured uh, Jason Momoa shrugging.
0: Oh yeah, just, eh, just doing a shrug, like yeah. Eh. We made a boom. I don't know. It <laughs> And the Fremen says, "Like, we should get under cover. Like that blast uh, is going to cause attention. We need to move." So now, what's left of the Atreides family group? Idaho, Paul, and Jessica. Right. We know we know Thufers out there. We know Gurney is with the smugglers. Um, but the rest of their group is kind of all split up. Like they, they get up and sh- shake the sand off of them, and Idaho, Idaho addresses Paul who is now his Duke. In, in his mind, Paul is the new Duke. For sure. And then Idaho says, that blast will, attention, will attract considerable attention, sire. Idaho said, sire, Paul thought. The word had such a strange sound when directed at him. Sire had always been his father. He felt himself touched briefly by his powers of prescience seeing himself infected by the wild race consciousness that was moving, moving the human race towards chaos. The vision left him shaken, and he allowed Idaho to guide him up the edge of the basin to the rock projection. The Fremen were opening a way down into the sand with their compaction tools. So they moved the sand across with the compaction tools, and at this point, Idaho was like, May I take your pack, sir? Like, he's, he's addressing his duke. I'm going to do everything I can for him. And Paul is still like, no, you're my friend still. Like, it's, it's not heavy, Duncan. It's, it's okay. And then Idaho says, you have no body shield. Do you wish mine? He glanced at the distant cliff. Not likely there, there'll be any more laser gun activity about. Keep your shield, Duncan. Your right arm is shield enough for me. That's that. That's kind. That that's just what Duncan needed. That's the the affirmation.
1: That Paul being a good leader, right there too. It's like, come down, dude. Like everything's fine. Just keep. Let's keep going. And yeah, and that, like he's.
0: Sorry, I mean, it does help that they are they are such good friends at this point. Yeah, that 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 right arm scene that, that gets me every time like you are you are my right arm. Oh. All right, the Fremen removed a rock plug that opened a passage down into the native basement complex of the desert. A, camo- a camouflage cover was rigged for the opening. This way, one of the Fremen said, and he led them down rock steps into darkness. Okay. Behind them, the cover blotted out the moonlight. A dim green glow came alive ahead, revealing steps and rock walls. A turn to the left. Rope Fremen were all around them now, pressing downward. They rounded the corner, found another down-slanting passage. It opened into a rough cave chamber. In front of them stood Kynes, the jubahood thrown back, the neck of his steel suit glistening in the green light, his long hair and beard were Mused. The blue eyes without whites were a darkness under heavy brows. Must. Must? Is it must? I'm looking at the word up right now. Must. Untidy or messy. Yeah. I I stand corrected. Thanks, Evan. (laughs) (laughs) That is kind of your vibe, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) That's funny. All right. So they come down and they see Kynes right there Just looking Regal right And um Kynes then first thinks Like why am I helping these people Like he could He could have just let them Go He's lived under Harkonnen rule he could continue He doesn't need to have All this drama That's about to happen and he even thinks that, um, that this moment is the most dangerous thing he's ever done. Then he looks squarely at Paul, seeing a boy who had taken the mantle of manhood, masking grief, suppressing all except the position and ne- that now must be assumed, the dukedom. And Kynes realized in that moment, the dukedom still existed solely because of this youth, and that was not to be taken lightly.
1: Yeah.
0: So Paul instantly knows where they are, right? They're in this this laboratory. And it probably hasn't been touched in a long time. Um, it's probably sand everywhere. Well, there's probably sand everywhere on Arrakis, if we're honest. Um, and Paul recognizes this instantly as the Imperial Ec- Ecological Testing Stations that. Um, Duke Leto had wanted to know more information about. And these ecological testing stations have been here for hundreds of years. Well, Duke Leto wanted to know the whereabouts of these so he could probably continue to test to see how he could make life on this dune planet more sustainable, hospitable, habitable, just as a, a key entry point with the Fremen. But these are, these are definitely Fremen spots. They've been working on them. They've been using them. And as they... So Jessica and Paul start looking around. And that's where Paul makes the offhanded comment. Like, oh, these are the stations my father wanted as advanced bases. And Kinds thought his father wanted. And then Kinds as he's kind of... He's watching Paul and Jessica kind of go through. He's like... Why am I, am I foolish to aid these fugitives? Why am I doing it? It'd be so so easy for me to take them now, to buy her Harkonnen trust with them. Like he's like thinking about all of this as is, is is Paul and Jesse are kind of like meandering through, kind of following the Fremen, kind of just looking around. And Paul looks at the end of the room and sees cages with small animals stacked against the wall, which we knew were the bats that we met in the last chapter. Right, 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 bats. And Kind said, You recognize this place correctly. For what would you use such a place, Paul Atreides? And Paul, like kind of like just says, to make this planet a fit place for humans. And that's it where really Kind is. is like, well, maybe that's why I continue to help them. We have this, we have this shared dream. Um Right then, a frem- another Fremen emerged from a hidden area in the chamber and spoke to Kynes. "Yet the field generator equipment is not working. I am unable to mask this mask from the proximity de- detectors. Kynes says, Can you repair it? Not quickly. The parts, the man shrugged. Yes, Kynes said. Then we'll do it without the machinery. Get a hand pump for air to the surface. Immediately, the man hurried away. Kynes turned back to Paul. You gave a good answer. Jessica marked the easy rumble of the man's voice. He was a royal voice, accustomed to command. And she'd not miss the reference to him as Liet. Liet was the Fremen alter ego, the other face of this tame planetologist. So you were wondering who Liet was. Now we know. Well, I mean, I'm, I was pretty sure they
1: had alluded that it was Kynes before, but that was the nail in the coffin of like, bam, this is who they've been calling Elliot this this whole time is, is Kynes. So he has like, yeah. not only like political authority, but like this spiritual authority, it seems, because that's like the name of their deity, right?
0: Right. That's what, uh, how it's, um, like transcripts had come back with. Said this. It was almost right. a term of reverence, like a priest. Oh, okay, okay. Well, he thought it could be a deity. It could be, it's somebody of extreme power, this Liet. Who is this Liet? And Liet serves two masters. So, what? but we now know that that's Kynes, who's both the imperial ecologist and very much... A fremen leading this plan to make the planet habitable. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So as Kinds comes, um, Kinds is kind of like behind them. Um, Jessica says, "We're most grateful for your help, Doctor Kinds." And Kinds says, mm, "Yeah, okay, we'll see." He nodded to one man in the chair, <laughs> spice coffee in my quarters. The man at once, Liette,
1: Like a boss.
0: Kind then indicated an arch opening in the side of the wall. If you please. And he kind of like, please stop um, meandering through my laboratory. Let's come into my office. Jessica allowed herself a regal nod before accepting like, oh, yes. Like there's this power play that's happening right there. Like who's really in control? Um, Is it Kynes and all of his Fremen, or is it the way to Jessica and this now 15-year-old Duke who's parading himself around like he owns the place? Um, So they walk into this office, and then Paul gives a hand signal to Idaho telling him to stay outside in Mount guard there. The passage was two paces deep, opened through a heavy door into a square office lighted by some golden glo- glow globes. Jessica passed her hand across the door she entered and were startled to identify a plaid steel. Paul stepped three steps into the room, dropped his pack on the floor, and he heard the door close behind him. He studied the place, about eight meters to a side, walls of natural rock, curry-colored, Broken by metal filing cabinets on the right, a low desk with milk glass top, shot full of yellow bubbles, occupied the room's center. Four suspensor chairs ringed the desk. Kynes moves around Paul and heads and gives a chair out for Jessica. She sits down, noting the way her son was staring at the room. Paul remained for another eye blink. The faint anomaly of the room's air currents told him there was a secret exit to the right behind the filing cabinets. So Jessica's sitting down. Kynes is like waiting for Paul to sit down as he's kind of like just standing in the middle of the room as he's dropped his pack on the ground. And Kynes just says, uh, will you sit down, Paul Atreides? And the first thing Paul says or thinks is like, ah, he's still not using my title yet. He's not recognizing me as the real Duke yet. But he sits down. Kinds then starts the conversation. You sense that Arrakis could be a paradise. Yet, as you see, the Imperium sends here only its trained hatchet men, its seekers after the spice. Paul held up his thumb with its ducal signet. Do you see this ring? Yes. Do you know its significance? Jessica turned sharply to stare at her son. Kynes says, Your father lies dead in the ruins of Arakin. You are technically the Duke. And then Paul says, I'm a soldier of the Empyrean. Technically a hatchet man. <laughs> He's basically saying, like, oh yeah, you say that I'm I'm here to do the emperor's work. Um, I'm I'm the guy that's here to mess things up and kill people if you really want to go that far. Kynes' face darkened. Even with the Emperor Sardaukar standing over your father's body, the Sardagar one thing Paul says the legal source of my authority is another. Ooh. But then Kynes says Arrakis has its own way of determining who wears the mantle of authority. Jessica turned back to look at him and thinks, "There's steel in this man. No one has taken the temper out of. We need steel." And then she's like questioning, should Paul even continue this line of conversation? Like, should she do this? Because right now they're jostling for um, control, loyalty, allegiance, who serves who here. Right. And then Paul says, the Sardaukar and Arrakis are a measure of how much our beloved emperor feared my father. Now I will give the Potashar emperor reasons to fear. And Kain interrupts him and says, lad, there are things you don't. And then Paul interrupts. You will address me as sire or my lord. And Jessica is thinking, okay, all right. We're coming on a little strong right here. We can do some more diplomacy. But I think Paul is seeing the future. He knows what needs to happen. And so he's just going to step into it. Right. He knows eventually he's going to be in control of the Fremen. He knows like who he is. 100%. Therefore, why should, I guess... Of course, some some things require subtlety, which we'll see here later, but he's might as well just walk into that door, just I'm not gonna take it. I know what I'm gonna do. And then Kyon's finally finally like, okay, I'll humor you kid. Like, okay, sire. All right. And then Paul continues. He says, I'm an embarrassment to the emperor. I'm an embarrassment to all those who would divide Arrakis as their spoil. As I live, I shall continue to be such an embarrassment that I stick in their throats and choke them to death. Yeah. (laughs) And Kynes is like, words, words. Those are just words. They are not actions. You do not have that force for the words. Lots of yappy, no action. (laughs) And I mean, Kynes has been on the planet how long? He's dealt with the Harkonnens for how long? He His his father was before him. Like He knows how this planet works. Not everyone can come and just say, I'm going to go do X, Y, Z, and then go do it. Right. Um, but Paul just stares at him with those, you know, those death eyes we were talking about earlier. Just like, I know the future here. And then Paul says, you have a legend of Lizan Al gaib here. The voice from the outer world, the one who will lead the Fremen to paradise. Your men have, and then kind gets a little um, offended here, a little defensive, superstition. Like, no, don't you come bringing that up in here. And then Paul says, perhaps, perhaps not. Superstition sometimes have strange roots and stranger branchings. Oh, that's and a, then a, Ka- an underlying. Word. And he's, hes I think he's probably referring directly to the missionary protectiva, like, things were arranged long before you ever were alive, and we're going to use these. Before your great-grandfather was a thought, these things were in place. And then Kind's kind of like, okay, you have a plan, kid. Or, sorry, you have a plan, sire, Paul says, "Could your fremen provide me with proof positive that the Sardaukar are in Harkonnen uniform?" And Kind is like, "Quite, quite likely. Yeah, we could probably do that." And then Paul is like, "Now he's extrapolating. He's just thinking out. The Emperor will put a Harkonnen back in power. Perhaps even Beast Raban. Let him." Once he's involved himself beyond escaping his guilt, let the emperor face the possibility of the bill of particulars laid before the Lanzarad. Let him answer there where. And then Jessica interrupts Paul. And then kind of can, can kind of see where this plan is going. He says, Granted that the Lancerad High Council accepts your case, there could only be one outcome general warfare between the Imperium and the Great Houses. And then Jessica says, and it's chaos. And then Paul said, but I would present my case to the emperor to give an alternative to chaos. Jessica spoke in a dark, dry tone. Blackmail. Then Paul, he says, one of the tools of statecraft, as you've said yourself. And Jessica heard the bitter, the bitterness in his voice. And this is where we get Paul's plan. The emperor has no sons, only daughters. So Jessica asks, you'd aim for the throne? Paul. Hell yeah. The Emperor the emperor will not risk having the Imperium shattered by total war, Paul said. Planets blasted, disorder everywhere. He'll not risk that. Then Kynes. He says, that's a desperate gamble you propose. You're proposing, you and your mom, for you blackmail the Emperor because you're alive. Okay, all right kid that's that's you that's just you two versus everybody. That's what you're asking. And then Paul says, what does the great houses of the Lanzarad fear the mo- most? They fear most what is happening right now right here on arrakis, the Sardagar picking them off one by one. That's why there is a Lanzarad. This is the glue of the great convention. only a union do they match the imperial forces. And then Paul like continues to echo this. This is what they fear. What's happening right now is what keeps everything in line. If the emperor doesn't get involved, everybody's cool. The emperor has gotten involved. Therefore, he broke, he broke code. That's why he doesn't want anybody knowing. And as long as I'm alive, I can present my case. And that's what's going to happen. Each one of them... Each one of the great houses would see themselves in Dugalito, in in this martyr that had, had, would and would be cut out from the herd and killed. Kynes looks over to Jessica and says, would well, his plan work? Jessica says, I'm no Mentat. Like, I'm not computing this far out. I don't know what, that's not how my brain works. But then Kynes gives a good rebuttal. He says, but you are Benny Gesserit. You do have the power of the voice and you do know how to manipulate certain situations to make things happen. Could this work? She shoots a probing stare at him and then says the most political thing ever. His plan has good points and bad points, as any plan would be at this stage. A plan depends much upon execution as it does upon concept. And this is where Paul brings out the big guns. Oh man, he says, not. Law is the ultimate science. Paul quoted, Thus it reads above the emperor's door, I propose to show him law. So sick. What do you think he means by that? Law is the ultimate science. You want to break that down real fast? What do you think that means? I
1: think he's, uh, I was trying to figure it out. I think he's saying, like, there's there's a method to this this can all be like examined and put to the test and because the law is there there are rules to follow and if the emperor doesn't follow the rules it's exactly what he's been saying if the emperor doesn't follow the rules there is a reaction to the action of him not following the rules so like that's that's what I think he's saying I don't know. I could totally be wrong. I almost always am.
0: No, Evan, you're, you're, I think you're on the right track. Um, this idea that law itself can be, um, hypothesized, tested, changed to come up with the perfect law, a perfect way of ruling and governing and this move that the emperor just made. Um, is what's gonna break it. You can't it bad, do this though. if you yeah, if you if you really want law to be the one thing you wanna claim and hold on to that you are ruling well, this is what you cannot do. Yeah. Um, that's why we see like I don't know, just how Duke Leto governed so well with his people, like they actually cared for his people and cared for the well being of everybody to the best of his ability. And you even see Paul doing that with Idaho and what he's about to do to kinds. So then Paul says, all right, he basically says, if I'm emperor, um, I could make a paradise of Arrakis with a wave of a hand. This is the coin I offer for your support. If I'm emperor, all your dreams will come true kind like will that? be a why isn't he like that?
1: Because he's he's about loyalty. He has he's the, this is uh, th- uh he's probably thinking what the other uh what the other friend was like when Paul says that this is the coin I offer for your support. He's like stranger thinking,
0: stranger he, thinking,
1: he doesn't get it. And um, he's basically getting at the point which we're about to read. So I'll just move forward. Um, my loyalty, my loyalty, is not for sale, sire. And he's like, "Get it through your head, like you can't buy me." And um, yeah, that's 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 Kine's whole vibe in this moment is like, "This isn't, this isn't a, a, I'm not a person that can be bought. Like, try something else, you know."
0: Paul stared across the desk at him, meeting the cold glare of those blue within blue, unreadable eyes. Studying the bearded face, the commanding appearance. A harsh smile touched Paul's lips and said, well spoken, I apologize. It's like Paul set him up with a trap. Like, oh, you're right. If I force you to do something, you're never going to do it. My bad. You're right. And he like honors him in that again. Like, right, I see you.
1: It's, like it's humility. Like, a good leader is going to show humility in a moment like that and be like, hey, whoa, you're right. That's my bad. I made a mistake there. And I'm sorry for that, you know? Which is what?
0: Yeah. And that's, that. to be honest, in my mind, that's a sign of a great leader. If a great leader can, like, humbly say, yo, I made a mistake. This is my my bad. I see you. Yeah. That person is always worth following. There's nothing worse than a person that like
1: can't admit that they're wrong or like has like it's exhausting having conversations with people that are just like, you know, like, oh no, it's the and then you have to sit there googling crap to figure out who's right and wrong. Like, ugh, that's the worst type of interaction to have. But like a good leader is just like able to say, like, oh. I'm okay with being wrong in this moment. That's, that's totally fine. You know?
0: I, Cause that instantly builds trust, which we're about to find out. Okay. So Kynes met Paul stare and presently. And he says, almost surprisingly, no Harkon had ever admitted error. Perhaps you're not like them. Atreides. Duh. And, and I mean, we had the same moment on the field trip, right? Out right. of the spice harvester where, Kind of was like, all right, I'm gonna go kill these fools. And then actually was like, well, actually I kind of like them a little bit. Um, and then Paul, frankly, just says it could be a fault in their education. Like the reason they don't lead like that is because no one's ever taught them how to lead like that. Right. <laughs> they kind of, they lead through other means. They, they lead through power over oppressive empire Violin. power. Empire. Yeah. So Paul says, you say you're not for sale, but I believe I have the coin you'll accept. For your loyalty, I offer my loyalty. Totally. Jessica's is just looking Paul, over and thinking. What do you underline there? Oh, yeah. Read it. My son has the Atreides sincerity. He has that tremendous, almost naive honor and what a powerful force that truly is
1: when i read that i was like i want to have a sincerity like i want to like exemplify that because like what she says he has that tremendous almost na- almost naive honor and how powerful how powerful is that like being your true Self and being honorable and like, like, God yeah, it keeps going back to like the, the Atreides, the, the thing that Leto had, which was that like, righteousness, and he, he was the rightful Duke, like he was doing things the right way, the good way in like the just way. And that's what made him such an incredible leader. And that's what made people so loyal to him is like the Atreides sincerity. Like he is who he says he is. And he's like, I don't know. That, that just got me, I guess.
0: Well, that's why when that moment with Duncan earlier in the chapter where he says, where Paul says like, your right arm is shield enough. Like I give you my trust. I know that I would lay my life down for you and you will. And your you laying your life down for me is enough. Right. There's nothing. Yeah. You are already good. You are already taken care of. So Kynes hears this and probably like any Fremen leader at this point in time or any leader in general in the Imperium is visibly shaken that this boy sitting across from him, this now Duke, who just claimed to have a plan to become the emperor, (laughs) swore his loyalty to Kynes and the Fremen, who are also completely outside all imperial power. Like, the only way to bring the Fremen in is through this way. And then you're going to see what the Harkonnens do to, to do to Fremen. They don't treat them kindly. It's but you could you imagine, like, this 15-year-old boy claimed to have a, <laughs> a plan to become the emperor to swore un, undialing loyalty to you? Wow. This is where Kinds even says, like, this is nonsense. You're just a boy. And then Paul says, I'm the Duke. I'm an Atreides. No Atreides has ever broken such a bond. Kinds swallows When I say totally, Paul says, I mean without reservation, I would give my life for you. Sire, Kinds said. And the word There's was it. torn from him. But Jessica saw that he was not now speaking to the boy of 15, but to a man to a superior now kinds meant the word in this moment he would give his life for paul she thinks how do the atreides accomplish this thing so quickly and so easily how do they
1: i want to say i feel like i'm i feel like i'm being a little preachy but i want to say righteousness he's like this is this is what needs to be done like this is the, you know, I don't know. He's, he's, uh, he's offering such serious loyalty and like, he's not mincing his words. He's saying exactly what is, what is, what he means. I don't know. There's just that sense of like, Paul is like, I know I'm doing the right thing. And I'm like following the course that makes the most sense to me, like morally, et cetera, you know? And so he's like, why would he be afraid if that's what he's doing? You know, he's kind of got nothing to hide. So, yeah,
0: yeah I, I don't make, I don't want to make it a habit of quoting Bible verses on this podcast, but what comes to mind is when Jesus says like, there's no greater love for those who will, um, right. what is it? I just lost it. You're supposed to, you're uh, supposed to finish no, this for really me. It's a, uh,
1: has a man that to lay, lay,
0: Lay his life down for that of his friend. Right. It's the I will wave <laughs> Perfect. I, again, I don't want this to be a Bible thing. So yeah, but that's what comes to mind. Like there's no, there's, there's, that is the highest honor. Um, so Kain says, like, I know, I know you mean this. Yet the Harkonneth, boom, the door behind him slams open. He whirls to see the reeling violence, shouting, clash of steel, Wax image faces grimacing in the passage. And there's this violent chaos that is now happening behind him. Paul and Jessica leap up for the door, but Idaho dashes in front of them, shield on. Good thing he didn't give his shield to Paul. And blocks the, their exit. Um, I just want to read this real fast because it's really, really pretty. And it does does Idaho justice. Um, Idaho blocking the passageway, his blood-pitted eyes were visible through a shield blur. Claw hands behind him, arcs of steel chomping futilely at his shield. There was an orange fire, mouth of a stunner repelled by the shield. Idaho's blades were through it all. Flick, flick, red dripping from them. Then Kynes was beside Paul, and together they threw their weight against the door, closing it. Paul had one last glimpse of Idaho, standing against a swarm of Harkonnen uniforms. His jerking, controlled staggers, his black goat hair with a red bosom of death—or what red blossom of death in it? Probably blood everywhere. Then the door was closed, and there came a snirk, came a snick as Kynes threw the bolts.
1: So Idaho died could there. I was unsure, but maybe I was reading wrong.
0: No. Uh, yeah, um, I think we don't know. Like, there's probably no way he would have survived.
1: Gosh, okay. They, no spoilers, please.
0: Well, um, that's the death of Duncan. We've now seen <laughs> Duncan die. That's sad. Um, yeah. That's, yeah, Duncan's last moment is f- fighting all of the so is Harkonnen and possibly Sardaukar, probably leaving a pile of bodies as he tries to protect his now Duke.
1: Jeez.
0: And then Kynes, after the door closes and the locks clink shut, he says, I've appeared to decide it. I've appeared. Oh, I appear to have decided. Yeah. And then <laughs> Paul says, I've somewhat detected your machinery before it was shut down. He pulled his mother away from the door and met despair in her eyes. I should have suspected trouble when the coffee failed to arrive, Kynes said. You've a bolt hole out of here, Paul said. Shall we use it? Kynes took a deep breath and said, this door should hold for at least 20 minutes against all but a lay's gun. And they probably won't use laser guns because of, you know, the last boom that happened was one. Um, I was reading this and I remembered from the last chapter, the Fremen was talking to Thufur, and the Fremen said, uh, any man who goes into a cave with only one opening deserves to die. Like every place they'll go, there will always be another way out. Desert power. Desert power. <laughs> So, um, then, Jessica's starting to put more and more together, and she says that those are Sardaukar in, Har- in Harkonnen uniforms, and they could hear the rhythmic pounding of the door now. Kind indicated the cabinets against the right-hand wall and said this way. He crossed to the first cabinet, opened a drawer, manipulated a handle within it, and the entire wall of cabinets swung open to expose a black mouth of a tunnel. This door is also Kynes said, you were well prepared, said Jessica. And then Kynes kind of like says, we've lived under the Harkonnens for 80 years. He herded them into the darkness and closed the door behind him. All in a sudden, blackness. Jessica then sees the luminous arrows on the floor ahead of her. So now they're in the dark tunnel. and Paul tells Jessica and Paul to run down the labyrinth and they'll follow arrows one after the other that will light up on the floor and as you pass one, it will extinguish and the other one will light up there they will be led to a hidden thopter where Kynes tells Paul there's a storm on the horizon fly into the storm Makes sense, right? Uh huh. Because storms, as we've as we learned from earlier on in the book, um, storms just rip bone, flesh from bone, and rip steel apart, and no one survives a storm.
1: But he said to go like high in the storm, right? Like fly high up, yeah, almost above the storm.
0: Your only hope is to run for the storm. Says Kynes, and dive into the top of it and ride it. So if you stay up high enough, you'll be okay. And then then Kynes says, my people have done this in stealing thopters. If you stay high in the storm, you'll survive. And then Paul said, well, okay, where where are you going to go? And Kynes says, I'll try to escape another way. If I'm captured, well, I'm still the Imperial Planetologist. I can say I was your captive. And then Paul thinks, ah, running like cowards. Like he wants to go back out to be with Duncan, to avenge his father, to avenge all the people he's lost. And then he turns to face the door. Jessica heard him move and said, Duncan's dead, Paul. You saw the wound. You can do nothing for him. Paul, still staring at the door, I'll take full payment for them all one day. And then Kynes, not unless you hurry now. Let's go. <laughs> Paul felt the man's hand on his shoulder. Where should we meet, Kynes? Paul asked. Right. They just agreed to be friends forever at this point. Where where am I going to see you again? BFF. Kynes says, I'll send Fremen searching for you. The storm's path is known. Hurry now. And Great Mother, give you speed and luck. And from there, he plunged into the labyrinth of darkness. Gone. There we go. Paul then reaches, no, Jessica then reaches for Paul's hand. And they're looking into the darkness. She says, we must not get separated. Yes, Paul said. He followed her across the first arrow, seeing it go black as they touched it. Another arrow. Lit ahead. They crossed it, saw it extinguished itself, and then they saw another arrow. Now they were running. Bum 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 and as they're running, making lefts and rights as they're following arrows ups and downs. Jessica thinks plans within plans within plans within plans. We have now become part of someone else's plan. They make their way through the labyrinth, rat labyrinth until they round a corner and they're met with a glowing wall with a dark handle visible in the center. Paul presses the handle and the wall swings open and inside there there is a rock cavern with an ornithopter just sitting in there. Jessica then asks, where did Kynes go? Paul says, he did what any good guerrilla leader would do. He separated us and arranged it that he couldn't reveal where we are if he's captured he really won't know paul drew into the room noting how his feet kicked up dust on the floor no one's been here for a long time he said he seemed confident that fremen could find us she said paul says i share that confidence he lets go of her hand and crosses the ornithopter's left door opens it up and secured his pack in the rear right takes the backpack off puts it in the back seat the ship's proximity is masked, he said. The instrument panel has a remote door control, light control. Eighty years under the Harkonnens taught them to be thorough. Jessica leaned against the craft's other side, catching her breath. Because they, of course, just just sprinted down a dark labyrinth tunnel following arrows like a video game. The Harkonnens will have a covering force over this area, she said. They're not stupid. She considered her direction sense pointed right. The storm we saw is that way. Paul nodded, finding an abrupt reluctance to move. He knew its cause, but found no help in this knowledge. Somewhere this night, he had passed a decision nexus into the deep unknown. He knew the time area surrounding them, but here and now existed as a place of mystery. It was as though he'd seen himself from a distance go down out of sight into a valley. Of the countless paths up out of this valley... Some might carry Apollo Trades back into sight, but many would not. Jessica kind of wants to shake him out of this stupor he's in. So the longer we wait, the better prepared they'll be. Get in and strap yourself down. So they get in, do-do-do-do, and he like gets in the, into this new thopter with all the gear modded out just for them. And he takes the... Uh, controls and he's kind of thinking to himself, like, like, wow, I have been, this is now blind ground and I've been relying way too much on my, on my prescient knowledge of what's going to happen to guide me. And it's weakened me to what's actually happening for me to be present here. And now I've been too much in the future, seeing possible paths, knowing what's going to happen that now they're right here, right now, might be uh, maybe really dangerous. Right. That's why we take the path here, because it won't lead to stagnation. If you take the safe path and don't get in and don't fly and don't know where you're going, um, you'll eventually die. So you have to take the leap. You're killing me, man. So (laughs) I know I'm just speaking into your life right now, Evan. And I'm sorry, (laughs) but I knew you needed to read this book. This is like, all right, side note one of my favorite chapters. This was the moment I'm okay. So I like read through all of the Dune books and then I was rereading this again. And this is the chapter I was like, one, I can't wait for this to be a movie. And two, we should have a, Evan needs to read this so we can make a podcast. Because <laughs> they're makes like, sense this now.
1: The
0: whole <laughs> thing makes sense now. <laughs> And and you have those first couple of chapters where it's like, wow, another conversation in another room. Where's the action? And now you get to this chapter and we are sprinting down hallways in battles happening in the room. Right. And we're about to go into the storm, which, oh my gosh, this is one of my favorite moments. Oh, just, I get goosebumps man. just thinking about it. All right. So Paul's like got his hands on the controls and he's remembering all these things. And then the Bene J'ezer axiom hits in his mind. If you rely only on your eyes, your other senses weaken, averring to his that too. Yeah. He looked to himself now, promising never again to fall into the trap if he lived through this. Paul fastened his safety harness, saw that his mother was secure, checked the aircraft. The wings were at full spread rest, their delicate metal interleavings extended. He touched the retractor bar, watched the wings shorten. For jet boost takeoff, the way Gurney Halleck had taught him so now we're in his training the starter switch moves easily dials he's like flipping all the switches turbines begin their low hissing he looks over you ready? yes Jessica says he tests the remote light remote control for the lights blackness <sighs> his hand was a shadow against the luminous dials as he tripped the remote door control grating sounds ahead of them A cascade of sand swished away to silence. A dusty breeze touched Paul's cheeks. He closed his door, feeling the sudden pressure. A wide patch of dust-blurred stars framed. The angular darkness appeared where the door wall had been. So we're just, you look out and there's just this rectangle of stars. Starlight defined a shelf beyond suggestions of sand ripples. You're looking out on the stars and these dunes and paul takes off right the wings cup and the takes off boom jessica is letting her hands ride lightly on the dual controls feeling the sureness of her son's movements she's frightened yet exhilarated now paul's training is our only hope she thinks paul feeds more power to the jetpots that's optor banked sinking them into their seats as the dark wall lifts it against the stars ahead he gave the craft more wing, more power. Another burst of lifting wing baits as they came over the rocks. Paul's hands dance over the controls. The wings sneaked in like beetle snubs. G-force pulled to the flesh as a craft came around in a tight bank. So they just take off. And then you hear the boom, boom, pew, pew. Right? The jet flares. Boom, boom. Go right past them. Jessica says, they're jet flares behind us. I saw them. So now we have two thopters coming right out, right behind him, and they're going through a a dog fight, right? They're they're casing through, Paul is weaving, they're shooting things at him, boom, 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 boom. Jessica says, those are are artillery shells. But then Paul has a sudden animal-like grin appear on his face. They seem to be avoiding their laser guns, he said, but we have no shields. Do they know that? Again, the thopter stuttered. Paul twisted to peer back. Only one of them appears fast enough to keep up with us. He returned his attention to their course, watching the storm wall grow high in front of them. It looked tangibly solid. The storm. Hadn't you better turn? What about the ship behind us? He's pulling up. And that's when he go, they go, now! Paul stubbed the wings, banked hard left. Into these deceptively slow boiling of the storm wall, he felt his cheeks pulled in the G-Force. They appeared to glide into a slow clouding of dust that grew heavier and heavier until it blotted out the desert and the moon. The aircraft became a long, horizontal whisper of darkness, lighted only by the green luminosity of the instrument panel. And this is where Jessica thinks... About her, all the warnings about storms, that they cut metal away like butter, etched flesh to bone and ate away a bone. She felt the of d- dust blanket the wind. It twisted them left and right as Paul tried to fight the controls. He saw him cut the power and felt the ship buck, metal around them, hissed and trembled. And this is where they're now trying to glide and they're being carried by the sand. Paul put the wings out to full spread, and he's fighting to keep everything level, holding on so tight. Um, The sound of their passage diminished. The thopter began rolling to the left. Paul focused on the instruments in front of him, trying to keep it level. Jessica had the eerie feeling they were standing still, that all motion was external a vague tan flowing against the windows a rumbling hiss reminded her of the powers around them winds to seven eight hundred kilometers an hour adrenaline edginess at her I must not fear she told herself mouthing the words of the B'nai Jesuit Whitney fears the mind killer they're not it feels like they're probably not moving at all And everything around them is going, it's just, they're being just taken by this thing.
1: The wind is carrying them, right? That's what's going on right now?
0: Yeah, the wind and the sand is just rushed. They like dove into the storm, but the storm was moving faster than they were. So now it's just like like carrying them. And Paul has the wings fully out, just trying to keep it level and high enough that they don't just get taken and eaten alive by this thing. And it gets so scary that Jessica has to mouth the litany against fear to herself. And she feels the calmness return to her and then quickly drain out of her as soon as Paul also mouths, but but with a whisper as if he's holding on for dear life. We have the tiger by the tail. We can't go down, can't land, and I don't think I can lift us out of here. We'll have to ride it out. That's going to be one of the lines in the movie that we're always going to get chills like, whoa. Jessica's teeth begin to chatter and she clamps down her jaw. She then hears Paul's voice, low and controlled. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past me, I will turn to see my fears pass. Where the fear is gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. As he holding. on. And thus ends uh, chapter 25. Okay,
1: can I talk about something that I really, really liked right at the end there? Uh You could talk about whatever you want. Okay, sounds good. Um, (laughs) It's the fact that, okay, Jessica is exemplifying stranger thinking and, like, not desert thinking. She's like, but everything we heard about the storms, like, they tear up ships, like, it'll just, like, destroy steel. It'll, like kill you if you get caught in it. It's like, yeah, that's very true. It's this very dangerous thing unless you know exactly how to use it. Unless you keep your Thopter up at a certain height where it's more dust than sand because sand is too heavy to get all the way up to the top of the storm. And if you can get your Thopter just right, it the storm, this big dangerous, awful thing will actually carry you and be like the 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 giant dangerous thing will actually be your safety. You know what I mean? That's oh yeah. A crazy good juice revelation out of that whole scene for me.
0: Like the thing that you most fear is actually the thing of your greatest salvation. Right. Yes. Yes, and even we're gonna. I mean, this isn't crazy spoilers, but they like ditch the Harkonnens. The Harkonnens are gonna think they're dead. No one survives a storm. There's been zero evidence of anybody surviving a storm. So right. why would they be any different? Desert power, power Caleb. <laughs> and evidently, the fremen do this all the time, and they know exactly where to pick them up at they're going to find, they know the route they know it should die somewhere around here we'll go send our people but Paul and Jessica don't know that he's got to hold on for probably hours just holding on as tight as possible, trying to keep this thing level at at full tension. at full attention keeping this thing going now, if there's any moment for the litany and for fear, that that litany against fear, that was it. That that just it get I get chills every single time. Right. Cause at this point, it could literally mean the storm, right? I will wet I'll pull back up here. Um I will face my fear, jump into the storm. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. The storm itself will go through is going literally through the thopter it is going faster than the thopter is and when it is gone when the storm is gone I will turn back and look and there will be nothing only I will remain standing oh (laughs) it's so good so good and you can really see the the pace of the book is really starting to, to pick up like they're Before, they were sitting in chairs having conversations. Now they're running through passageway, flying into storms. Things are only picking up from here. Oh,
1: I am excited. This is a great chapter. This might be my favorite chapter so far. We'll see how the rest of the book goes.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, this moment gets me hyped. I cannot wait to see it on the big screen whenever that day comes. When it, when it was in the trailer, I got chills. And I was like, yes, that's the moment I want to see. Uh, and so, yeah, please. We want to know your favorite moments in the show. Send us a video, record it on your phone. Do send us an audio message. Um, or even we'll take regular words. We'll read them like we did. Um, you can do that at Reading Dune on Twitter. We just I just want to shout out people on Twitter real we'll fast that um got a Twitter just because of us. I want to say I'm sorry. I, we did not mean to do that <laughs> to you. Um Twitter can be a very crazy place and uh his at is uh his username is at Dune Spice Latte, which is clever. I appreciate that. He says That um, I joined Twitter after finding your podcast, been reading through the book for the first time, and your chapter breakdowns are making reading this classic immensely joyful. So you know what? Thank you. We're all part... uh, We're all part of one big tribe. Oh, man. Here, we had a comment live from YouTube. AK says, I'll be saying the Whitney Against Fear out loud in the theater with Paul and Jessica. Sue (laughs) me. We are... (laughs) We are right there with you on that one. Oh, my gosh. All right. Uh, send us all the stuff, video, audio, words. Email us us at uh, readingdune@gmail.com. We'll put it on the show because this not, is not a show about me and Evan. This is a show about us and all the people out there who are reading Dune for the first time for the 50th time. As always, yeah. please tell your friends, um, people on YouTube who aren't subscribed. I see you. I see you hit that subscribe button um thank you so much for reading dune with us and as always please stay spicy